Okay, welcome back to the Here We Go Again podcast, episode six. You're joined once again by myself, Luke Gallagher, and Mikey O'Gara, and today's special guest, Jason McAteer. How are you, Jason? Um, yeah, seven weeks in. <laughs> uh, I'm bearing up, yeah. Um, like everybody, I think we're just, we're just all waiting, aren't we, to see what, what really comes of the next few days, um, how things are going to be uh, loosened off, like what the guidelines are going to be, and then I think... You know the uncertainty of going forward. I think is what's is what's killing everyone, and it? it's just a bit of a nightmare. It's just, you know, we want things to get going with football to get back on track, and you know, it's just uh, it's just getting strained now. But you know, there's a bigger picture to this, and we've all got to adhere by the rules, really. So the sort of theme of the podcast is we'll we'll have a bit of a chat about your career. Obviously, your your first professional club was Bolton. Before that, you you started in non-league with Marine, I believe. Yeah. Um, what was it like playing at that level as a young lad? Um, to be honest, like I, I went through, I mean, it was different back then to what it is now. There was no real academies and it was literally going on trial. Um, like your mate's dad spotting you and telling someone who had a long coat on with a Blackburn badge on or a Liverpool badge or an Everton or Tramir or whatever, um, that there's this decent young kid around local football do you want to have a look at him and then they venture down uh and then you never know they're there but they're supposedly there on the sidelines watching so yeah I, I literally grew up like that having trials at Man United and Everton Chester uh Tramia. um but I was really small for my age I was really under underdeveloped so um so of course scouts Scouts back then, you know, they just wanted the, the lads who were probably a bit more overdeveloped, big, you know, mm. ahead of the game. Um, and they Amazing were getting... to see how that's changed now. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, they nurture them through academies now, don't they? You know, from, from being small, they, they, they obviously can see the talent and they know they're going to grow with science and everything now. They know, you know, they, they get the history of the parents, the grandparents, and then they know that they're going to grow three foot or whatever it is and fill out with with their programs so if the talent's there they, they know it's just a waiting game but back then you know it was literally nah you're too small thanks very much we'll we'll keep watching you and see what happens so I I got to 16 and 15 16 was it was just a little bit lost to be in all honesty I I really was devastated and I wasn't picked up by any clubs my mates were getting picked up by Tramier and Liverpool and you know I I literally I had to sit down one day with my mum and say, you know, what am I going to do with my life? It's like I wanted to play football academically. I done all right, but I did throw all my eggs in, in one basket. And, you know, I've come out with not a lot of exams. And, um, you know, what are we going to do? So I, I literally went to our college. I passed an exam to go to our college. And I studied graphic design for, for basically three years to be a graphic designer. Um, I had a great time in college. But the, the college caretaker was a fella called Alan Molden at the time who... Um, he was right into football, like local football, loved it. Probably could have been a pro himself, but for one reason or another, didn't make it. Um, but he kind of took me under his wing. We were playing football every dinner hour. I was always late for class going in in the afternoon. Um, and then literally went to play for his Sunday league team and then developed with him, um, learned a few things off him and then started making a name for myself, sort of local, just local leagues, Sunday league football. And then I started playing for a team called the Vicks, Pulton Vicks, um, on a Saturday, their reserves. And then 
I used to work in a pub to earn a few quid. I was a glass collector and then a barman. So when I got to like 19, I, I, you know, I was, I was really fit. I was just playing football all the time. Um, five sides in the week, playing Saturday, playing Sunday. There was literally a fella who, who drunk in the pub whose mate played for Marine. He was the centre forward for the first team, Paul <laughs> Mitchin. And he said to me, listen, um, I've told Paul about you. Obviously, you make the name for yourself. Do you want to go and have a trial at Marine? And I thought, yeah, you know, nothing to lose. More expenses, more money off the pub, you know, from the pub. And, you know, I'll have a few quid in my pocket while I'm going to college. And uh, I went over and had, a, had a, literally a trial. It was Tuesday, Thursday night training. I was with the reserves, had a trial, done really well. I must have played in the first team of Marine maximum in three or four seasons, six times. I just wasn't suited to that league. I was, I was thin. I was growing, um, but I was gangly, a bit gangly and a bit awkward. Uh, I was playing. I started as a right back. I got, then got put into midfield because of my energy. So I was playing right midfield. Um, and I was just quite dynamic, really. Just, you know, I was fit and quick. So I was getting crosses in. But I wasn't suited to the HFS Loans League as it was back then. Because um, it was just too tough, too physical. And I, I couldn't, you know, the, the manager, Rolly Howard, who'd been there for years, he just didn't think I was good enough, really, basically. But I was always one of these where if someone didn't think I was good enough and kind of was open with that, it drove me on to prove them wrong. So I had a bit of a, a be in me bonnet about Rolly Howard. I remember him taking me to a first team game. I'd done really well in the reserves. And I thought I was going to play in the first team. And he took me away to somewhere like Geisley or somewhere. And um, it, was in, it was a night game. And I remember going, thinking, all nervous, thinking I was going to play. And he never picked me. I didn't even get on the bench. And then what happened was, at the end of the game, I didn't always remember him saying to me, right, I'll pick up the kit. And there was like skiddy undies everywhere and <laughs> stinking tops and all kinds of gear everywhere. And I was thinking, that's what he's brought me here for. Um, and it just done my head in and it drove me just basically to, to do better. Um, and then I played, the manager was Dave Ramsden of the reserves and it, I got on really well with him. And um, I just went back and played for the reserve. So I literally, you know, wasn't suited to non-league football, but the reserve team played against Bolton's A-team, Man United A-team, but it was called the, um, oh, what was the league called? It was basically all the A-teams of all the Premier League, of all the, all the sort of top clubs. Mm -hmm. And it had a, a university was in there. One of the university, you missed university played in that league, Marine Reserves. And then it was like Liverpool, Everton, Bolton, Blackburn. So I, I got to play against you know, all the kids at United gigs, um, Skulls, the, the Nevilles, Beckham. They were all coming through there. You'd play against... First team players who were coming back from injury. So I played against Barnsley and Rushy. Um, played against Macken and Anfield. Robbie would have played. Um, so it was a really good league for me. You know, it was a better league for me to be in than the Lancashire League, it was called. It was a better league to be in that than what it was playing the Marine first team. So I developed really quick. Um, and then what happened was I got to, I got to 20 years of age. And my uncle lived in America and he said to me, what are you doing? And my college course had just finished. 
And I said to him, listen, I'm not doing anything. I'm playing for Marine Reserves. I'm making about 30 quid, 40 quid off that. I work in a pub. And I'm basically rubbish at graphic design. So I need, I need something to do. And he said, well, I can get you a scholarship in America. Like my friends, I've got loads of friends over here who can get you in. So I went to America for three months. And um, I got over there. I had a couple of trials. And I got two scholarships, got offered two scholarships. So I took one. So I was, I was going back to America. I'd come home because my visa had run out. And then I was doing the SAT test in Manchester. I'd come home to do that. And then I was going to go back whatever semester it was um, after Christmas had started. I was going to go back for that one. So I literally come home for three months. But I remember the fella from the university saying to me, listen, stay fit, go back and play for Marine Reserves. Because when you come back, you're going to be rad, isn't it? So I said, okay. So I rang Dave up, Dave Ramsden, and I just said, listen, can I come back and play? And he went, yeah, glad to have you back. So I went back and we played against Bolton. Um, and I can't remember where they used to play their games. It was, it was just outside Bolton. It was a non-league ground. Um, anyway, we went up there and Phil Neal and Mick Brown, were, they were there watching. And Mick was the assistant at the time. And I had this like absolutely fantastic game, like where the game scored a couple, set a couple up. And then um, afterwards, Dave said to me, listen, Phil, Phil Neal really thought you played well there and he might want to do something. So I was like made up. I was like, wow. And it was obviously a big Liverpool fan as well. So Phil was like flipping out. So then that night um, we were in the house and it was a Saturday night, obviously. And my mum took a call and it was Phil Neal. And she said, listen, I really enjoyed like watching Jason today. He played really well. We want to bring him down on trial. But, you know, we don't want to step on Marine's toes because he's under contract. And I, I was like, I'm not under contract. My mum was like, he's not under contract. So I remember him saying to me, well, they'll try and sign you on a contract now because we'll have to pay for him. If he's on non-contract, he can just come, you know, do what he wants. So I went in on the Tuesday and I said to Rowley Howard, listen, I'm going for a trial at, at Bolton. And he said, um, no, I want you to sign a contract before you go. <laughs> and I was like, I was only, I was only like, I was like proper scared. And I was like, oh, I, like, I need to speak to my mum and dad. And so um, he said, listen, take it home, come back. He offered me 100 quid. I went to, I went home and then I went back on the Thursday. And my dad was like, you're not signing that. Dave Ramsden was even like, you're not signing that. So, um, Especially so after the way he treated you as well. Sorry, mm. mate, what was that? Especially after the way he's treated you as well with the first team. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I didn't really see a future at, at Marine. I didn't really see myself getting in the team. I didn't really see you know, being part of the plans. It was literally Rowley, you know, could have asked for 10 grand for me if, if I'd signed this contract. Um, and, and like you said, I had no, I, you know, I had no favours to do Rowley. I had no desire to help him out because he, he didn't look after me. So Dave Ramson come on the phone and he literally said to me, listen, don't sign this contract. So I went in on the Thursday and I just said, Rolly, listen, I'm, I'm not signing this contract. And he was fuming. And then um, I went on the Monday, I went for the trial at Bolton. And then after three days, um, I signed. Phil Neal offered me a contract. It was a week's trial. After three days, he just said, right, we want you to sign till, um, till June, till May, May and June. So I had, I had January, February, March, April, May. I had five months to prove myself with Phil. So... Um, so that was it. That was the start of my career. Was it true that, well, so, so it's not true about the £500 and the bag yeah. of, big bag of football? Yeah, yeah, because they didn't pay a fee. Mm -hmm. um, 
they kind of made like they didn't want to be seen to be nicking this young kid from a, a non-league team okay who right. could go on and, and make them millions um you know they didn't want to be you know that club that kind of didn't want to help non-league out grassroots that kind of thing so they made a donation of 500 quid and they give them a bag of footballs to, to use and train them but um just before i left there was a big storm because it was over winter and the roof blew off the social club at marine and um so they used the 500 quid to build a new roof so <laughs> my money actually built the roof of the social club at marine it should be called the jason mcateer roof shouldn't it <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> So mm-hmm. did you actually make you made your actual Bolton debut under Bruce Rioch? Is that right? No. Um, sorry. Yeah. What happened was um, so when I signed, it was um, as you probably know, it was you know Phyllis Skirk and Reeves. Yeah. Um, Kami was centre half. Felgate was in goal. Mark Patterson was there. Um, Brownie, um, Nicky Spooner. Um, Trying to think about Jimmy. Jimmy was there. Jimmy Phillips, um, Darbs was there. So, you know, I was literally thrust into it, like thrown in at the deep end, training with the first team. But what what they had at Bolton was a really good young set of lads coming through, like Darren Oliver, Andy Roscoe, um, Fish was coming through. Uh, so. You know, we quite a few scouts was there as well. Mark Seagraves was there. Tony Kelly. So, um, so kind of they took me under the wing a little bit, like Ziggy and Stubbsy was in the first team. Um, so they kind of took me under the wing. But I was, I grew up with Reevesy playing for a, a boys club when I was younger. Um, so I grew up with the Reeves brothers, and then I used to come in um, with Reevesy. Used to drive in now and again. And Sammy Sammy Lee was the first person to pick me up from the Adelphi on my first day of training. I had to get a train to the, to Liverpool, get picked up at like eight o'clock in the morning by Sammy and Sammy brought me in. And I just remember being starstruck in the car the whole way to the, to the training ground. Or we went to the ground, went to Burnham Park, get changed. And I, I just remember sitting in the front seat like that thinking, oh my God, it's Sammy Lee, it's Sammy Lee, it's Sammy Lee. <laughs> Still went over in my head. He must have thought I was a right weirdo. And then, um, and then, my first opportunity, because I played in the reserves, my first opportunity of getting in the team was around, it was around Easter. Um, and Phil said, I'm, I'm going to start putting you in the first team squad to play. And I'd done my hamstring. Um, and I was out for a while because the intensity of the training and everything, and obviously growing, and I was on doing weights and, you know, I was, I was eating probably the right stuff. Um, I just, my body just couldn't hack it. So I got, a, I got an injury basically over that Easter period. And I never made my debut under Phil. Um, and then obviously, as you know, Phil got the sack in the May and then Bruce Rayock coming in the June and then we started the new season. Um, but I didn't actually make, I was on the bench for Chester away and then my full debut was Rochdale FA Cup. So that would have been around, that was the first round. So that would have been around December, wouldn't it? November, December. Yeah. How how did you find working with Bruce Rayock? Um... Brilliant, like you know, for what I went on and done, um, you know, for the mental side of the game, um, what he taught me, which was basically from scratch, I always felt I was a project to fill, and Stubbsy was a, a Colin Todd project. I we used to say these two have got a bet, like who's going to get capped first by the country, like a big bet, like 
Colin Todd and Bruce Rioch because it was really apparent that Stubbsy was Toddy's favourite and I was Bruce's. We were like we were we were golden boys to them two. We we were like, you know, Bruce. Me and Bruce had a had a really strong relationship from the beginning, um, like a father son relationship. Very very close. Stubbsy, Stubbsy maybe not as close with Toddy, but very close with Toddy. But like Bruce would keep me behind. Um, he'd have me doing afternoon training. I was always doing extra running. But you know, I never. I never looked at it as a chore staying behind. I never looked at it as hard work. And, you know, he would he would show me how to run off players. Um, he told me he didn't want me to play wide right, which Phil had obviously wanted me to play. I, he wanted to move me into midfield. So I started playing under Steve Carroll, who was the reserve manager. I started playing centre midfield. Um, so we, you know, we worked on running off players, um, fitness, tackling, heading, running and jumping, um, all basic stuff. But just, you know, once it all comes together, you become a, a bit of a, a complete package, you know. And what, what I think he had was a, was a rough diamond, really. He, you know, it was rough and he could work with that. Um, and he also, he was also really hard with me as well. Like he would, um, he would tell me off, like he'd get in my head. Like, because I, I got to the, our relationship was where I didn't want to let him down. So if he shouted at me or if he called me out, I was devastated. Like I was gutted to let him down. Like some of the things, like I remember, I mean, there's loads of different stories. There's like, um, he, he kept saying to me, you do well for me, I'll give you a new contract. Because when I signed for Bolton, I was on 100 quid. So then my next contract went to like 200 quid. Then it went to 500 quid. And this is all like over like 10 games, 15 games. My money just kept increasing and increasing. Um, and then I remember, you know, getting it up to maybe £1,000 a week and um, 800 quid a week or whatever it was. And me and Stubbsy went out and bought new cars. And I don't, I don't, if you ever remember, when you come down the hill towards Burnham Park, there was a car garage on the right. So you go past the snooker club on the right. Yeah. And as you're going down, there's a car right on the on the junction. There's a there's a little tiny garage, and it used to have like um, really nice cars in there. He was like a, a bit of a flash car dealer, and um, there was a green Lotus Alan in the window all the time, and I loved it. Right, anyway, I signed this new contract, and Stubbsy went out and bought this really sensible car, like an Astra or something. <laughs> and um, I went and bought I went and bought this green racing green Lotus Alan, right. So, so after training, I went up and bought it and I drove it home. So the next morning, um, I've gone into training all made up with this brand new car. Like I'm a footballer, I'm playing in the first team. I've now got the sports car. I goes in, drives it into the car park at Burnham Park. And it goes into the same, I get changed. Bruce Rail comes in, he goes, um, in front of all the lads, he goes, who's just the green Lotus Salon in the car park? I just, I just remember thinking, oh my God. So I turned around and I've gone, it's mine. And he went, right, what you do is you train this morning and then after training, you take it back to the car dealer up the road from the ground and you go and ask for his money back. In fact, I've spoke to him already. He's got your money waiting for you. And I was <laughs> like, what? I was like, oh my God. And because he was like my dad, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. 
So like, obviously I've got through training, I'm like stubsies, everyone's laughing and that. So um, I literally like went up to the car park, Stubbsy come with me, went to the car park, got my car, took it to the car dealer. And like, I had to say to Stubbsy, listen, will you take me home? Cause like, I've got no car. I walked in, parked the car up, went in, the fella gave me a check. <laughs> he started laughing. Just got out, got in Stubbsy's car and Stubbsy took me home. And then <laughs> I got back and my mum was like, like, you're gonna have to buy a sensible car. Bruce has been on the phone. He, he wasn't happy. Cause, it, cause what his thinking was, I'm driving in from Liverpool or from the Whittle every day in a two-seater Elan on the motorway. If I have a car crash, I'm dead. Mm. So, and he's thinking, you need a safe car. You need like a proper car. <laughs> so, um, and he, he'd never explained to me, Bruce, he would never explain to me until like, it might be six weeks later, he'd go, I want to speak to you. And I'd go in his office and he'd go to me, the reason I told you to send that car back was this, or the reason I never played you in that game was this. Or the reason I did this to you or said this to you is this. And like when, when the dust has settled and you, you see the bigger picture, you kind of you kind of understand where he's coming from. He was a brilliant, brilliant manager. Great man. He was tough. Um, I remember another time we were training. Um, Mark Patterson, he was watching. We had a, we had a game, 11 v 11. And um, Mark Patterson was like the hardest player in the world. Paddy would smash anything. And um, Bruce was watching from the sideline and Paddy went right through me, like cut me in half, literally cut me in half. Could have ended my career. It was a naughty tackle. So it um, gets to half time, gets up, lip, limping around, gets on with it. And then half time, Bruce just comes in. He's doing a bit of a team tour. He goes to one of the kids, goes sit down. He goes, I'm coming on for the second half. He come on, I swear to God, he smashed Mark Patterson, right? He, the, the most ruthless tackle. Do you remember the tackle that uh, Duncan Ferguson does? Um, sorry, no, it's Graeme Souness when he goes to Scotland for Rangers and he sticks his foot right in the fella's stomach. Yeah. It, was like, it was like that on Mark <laughs> Patterson and he just stood over him. And it was as if to say, like, don't bully, like, don't be a bully, don't bully the kids because there's a, there's a bigger and harder person than you and it's me. And it and like I got up like that, walking around like Bruce. <laughs> it's all made up. But he he was just he was just the, one of the best managers I've, I've ever played for, and you know he 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 put an unbelievable Bolton team together. Um, we done shape. We were on the training ground for hours doing shape. We worked on pressing, and and you know he had a great connection with with Scotland. Um, you know he had a scout, Ian McNeil up in Scotland, who brought down Andy Walker, McGinn, Owen Coyle, um, Stevie Fulton in the end. Um, you know, some brilliant players from Scotland come down and played for us and, and just made us what we were. And pretty early on in your time at Bolton, 92-93 season, promotion to the first division, that must have been good to have got that under your belt pretty early on in your, your professional career, really. Yeah, you know, I've, I'm, I'm big on the mental aspect of sport, it, all different sports. Um, you know, and I, you know, as you know, I, you know, I work for Liverpool now, and I've been watching Liverpool under Jurgen for the last four and a half years. And you know, one of the biggest attributes I think you can have is is a, is a winning mentality. But you, it has to start off slow. It has to start off by obviously winning football matches, coming from behind. Is, is something else that goes into the mental psyche of a footballer. Um, you know, going on unbeaten runs, 
um, keeping clean sheets. And then, you know, eventually it's, it's getting to finals or winning promotions. Um, it's kind of like the final, it's the final piece of the jigsaw because I, I think what it makes you as a mentally as a, as a sportsman, it produces a desire to want to do it again. It's kind of when you've done something like that, the emotion that that brings, like I'll never forget that day against Preston where we, we get promoted at home, red hot day. Um, we get pitch invasion, the, the celebrations afterwards. You know, it, it's, it's something that like, it, it's, it's, just, it's just something that like it goes inside you and installs you. And you might be a winner as in that, that's how you grow up and you fight for everything. But as a sportsman in, in your specific game, it, you feel like you belong it, it's like you are the best because you've got promotion. And if you're the best, then there's a reason why. It's because you're the best, not just the best team, because you've added a piece to that team. And, you know, you, you go through it together as a, as a group of lads and you bond and you grow stronger. I mean, we used to go on unbelievable runs of games unbeaten. The amount of times we used to come from behind, like, you know, 2-0 down, 3-0 down, coming back. I mean, the, the Reading game epitomises that. Yeah. The playoff final at Reading at Wembley. That that's that summed us up that game. Um, but yeah, that that first promotion was just you know it was just an immense feeling. And plus, you know, Bruce hadn't finished putting together what what he did. He still had a, a lot of the players that Phil Neal had left behind. So he's you know he he was there the season and and done done brilliant with what he had. Bruce, to be honest. Who were the big characters in the team at the time? Obviously, we know. Tony Kelly on a personal level, and we imagine he was probably one of the big characters in the team. Who who could you pick out from that sort of era that were the big voices, the big characters in the dressing room? I, I you know, I've done lots of interviews about like my my career and how football has gone. And you know, I come into the game in 1991, I think it was. You know, finished in in the 2000s or whatever. So football changed a lot. You know, from the money at Sky coming in around 93, 94, the revenue that was made. You know, I when I started playing football, it was brilliant. It was, you know, we went to, we went to the Halls factory for training. Um, it was the stink of sweets. We used to get bread off Warburton's, turkey off Warburton's at Christmas. But footballers were like, this is no disrespect to the modern day footballer, but they were like, they were, they were accessible, they were characters, they were real, they were honest. Um, and football, it, it was a different game, it was a different mentality. You know, it was, you know, you, you know the whole mental side of it was, if, you, if, you, if someone kicks you, you, you kick them back. If you get injured, you don't show your hurt. If you're not 100% fit, it's just tough, you get on with it. You know, the worst place to be was the treatment room. You know, you've got to grow up very quickly in, a, in, an, in an environment in a dressing room that is very cutting. It's very sharp. It's very demanding. It's very cynical. It, it can be a horrible place to be in if you can't hold your own. So you've got to grow up very, very quickly. And I was, you know, new to all this. So I was protected, yet yeah, by Bruce um, and Toddy to an extent. Um, 
you know, I learned some harsh lessons off some of the senior pros, Mark Patterson, who, you know, I want to use the word bully, but Paddy wasn't, Paddy, probably, yeah, bully would probably be the right, but a nice bully. Like he, he wouldn't do it for, because he liked it. He'd do it to toughen you up because he, he could see something in you, Paddy. There was a meaning behind it. Yeah, there was. I mean, at the time you're like, I hate him. I hate Paddy like, because he just smashes me in training. He's always picking on me. He's always saying things about me. It's like, you know, he was upsetting me all the time. But it was tougher. I was getting tougher. You know, in the end, you know, I'd feel like when I belonged in that environment, I could answer him back. I might get a little clip around the head or I might get a smashed in training. But he'd respect you for that. He'd think like, yeah, it's starting to work now. You know, he's answering me back. I like that. So I'm going to like give him a little bit more and I'll get a bit more like stronger. So Paddy was like that. Probably the, the big characters was, you know, we had leaders in the team like, Ziggy, who'd come from Liverpool, obviously. Um, Phil Brown was a real mentor of mine. Um, I used to, when we had nighttime games, I used to go and sleep in Phil's in the afternoon. So we'd train in the morning, we'd eat, and then I'd go back to Brownies. He was, was a senior pro. Um, you know, he was the playboy of the team, but, you know, he was, he was a character, but he wanted me to do well. So he, he kind of looked after me, gave me great advice. Kind of Brownie did it, but told me not to do it. If you know what I mean? Brownie would be doing the pitfalls of, of what you shouldn't be doing, but and didn't want me to go down that road. So he'd be like, this is what you don't do, what I'm doing. Kind of thing. <laughs> so it was like, he was like that. And I'm brilliant. Like great leader, big character in the dressing room, never say die attitude and a good player. Um, so there was Brownie and then you know the team the team was evolving all the time so then McGinn come in um, who was a big character but Tony Kelly um, I remember I was I was sponsored very quickly by Adidas Adidas used to have this this um, they'd have their elite players and then they'd have the the staff players and then they'd have the elite young players. So I was in that bracket very quickly. So what that meant was they pay me like a little bit of money, um, but I'd get as much gear as I wanted. I'd go down the factory in Stockport and me and Stubbsy would just load up the car. And then we just like, with all trackies for our mates and trainees for our mates. <laughs> and, and then we just go home. And so like my whole family was just kitted out and Adidas. It was just, <laughs> it was just like, it was mental. <laughs> And I was wearing, um, I could pick what boots. I was wearing World Cups and Copas. And then they, the Predator come out. And I don't even remember the first Predator. It was about that big, uh, like wide. And yeah. it was like a pasty. And it, I just couldn't wear it. So I said to them, I'm not wearing it. So they, they cancelled the contract. And that's how I ended up with Reebok. But, um, so I had quite a few pairs of boots. But I would go and get my boots from the boot room in the dressing room. And they'd be missing. They'd be like, not on my peg. And I'd be like... Where's my boots? I'd be looking everywhere for them. I'd go to my boot boy, where's my boots? It'd be like, I had this scared, stiff look on his face. And he'd go to me, Tony Kelly's wearing them. He told me not to tell you. <laughs> and I'd, I'd go out and train, and Tony Kelly's got my boots on. I'd be like, Kells, what the? And he'd go, you can get another pair, it's all right. So Kells would just always nick your gear. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, I'm sure I can tell these stories now, but I, 
like when we got into the first team, we we become regulars. There was me, Stubbsy, Mark Seagraves, and Tony Kelly. So when I first we got to Bolton, it was like me, Dallin Oliver, um, Andy Roscoe, and the fish. We we drive take turns of driving in, but then we got in the first team and kind of they were still in the reserves. So now my driving school was the older lads, the Scousers. So me and Stubbsy would meet in Kirby at Stubbsy's house. And then we'd drive up to Heighton and go and get Kells. Yeah. And I swear, we'd go to, on a, on a Monday morning, we'd go to Kells' house. He lived with his mum. And we'd get there about eight o'clock, knock on the door, beat the horn. His mum would just open the door every Sunday morning. And she'd go, eh, Monday morning, and she'd go, didn't come home last night, lads. Um, you might find him in the Bluebell. So we'd drive up to the Bluebell, the pub, right? And like, we'd knock on the door and the, the cleaner would come out. We'd go, is Tony Kelly in here? She'd go, no, love. He was in here last night, but you want to try the pear tree? So then we'd, like, <laughs> we'd drive down to the pear tree, get out the car and like bang on the window. And like, the fella would open the door. Is Tony Kelly in here? Yeah, he's a kip. I'll just wake him up. Hold on. He, he would have been in the, in the pub all night like drinking and then we pick him up and we get him in the car he'd sleep all the way to training he'd get up he'd be the best trainer and then he'd get in the car we'd drop him back off right and he'd sleep it off and then he'd, he'd be man of the match on Wednesday or Saturday whenever we played and that's that that was literally Kells that was you know he was just one of them lived his life you know in that era you know mm-hmm. football was changing very slowly then but he stayed, he stayed where it was, which was the drinking culture, the going out after the game Saturday and literally not coming home. That, that's how he lived. But, you know, we, he, he just, you know, Bruce loved him. He called him the prince. Um, I mean, his passing, range of passing and his vision was, was sensational. He was brilliant for me because I was, had license to go because he didn't want to run on. I had license to run on and, you know, and link up and, He'd sit there and make the passes happen and, and look after my position. He was always talking to me about, you know, listen, you could have done that. You could have done this with the ball. Give it to me. You know, you play, you be the third man running. I'll, I'll get you on the ball. And we struck up a really good relationship, me and him, on and off the pitch. Um, I think because, you know, no one, we never said anything about, you know, the way we're picking him up in the morning. Bruce would say, where'd you get Kels from? We go his mum's. He's all right. He's fine. And then you know we kept it a secret. But Bruce used to, used to used to know what was going on. He knew everything, Bruce. And then he used to fine him. It was ten pound a pound overweight. Oh, the weighing on the Friday and the Monday. Yeah. <laughs> so if he weighs in overweight, he gets fined ten pound a pound. Yeah. So, yeah. So he was always skimped. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny you should say that because I remember when I was a lot younger. That I was going to the Bolton games and we'd bump into, bump into Tony Kelly. My dad would go, "That's Zico." I don't know, any, and I don't know any different. So I'm like, "All right, that's Zico, that's Zico, okay." So I go and Google Zico. I go, "That's not Zico at all." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. then you understand the nickname, and looking at tapes back, you just realise how good he actually was on, like in that yeah. little position, just knocking the ball seventy yard pings, as McGinley says. Uh, and he, he, you know, he come through, you know, the back because Bolton back then was, you know, picking up players from 
you know, all over. And, you know, Ziggy from Liverpool, Kells, Liverpool, you know, so they, they grew up in the passing culture of Liverpool as kids. And then, you know, you couldn't get it off Kells. He was like, he was a poor man, Jan Moby. He was a poor man's Jan Moby. That's what he was, Kells. Um, <laughs> but in that division, the best, you know, and, you know, football, you know, it's not all made up of superstars. It, it's made up of, you know, it's like a cake in it. It's all different ingredients that, you know, make the lovely cake at the end. Um, and if you don't get the ingredients right, then the cake tastes horrible. And, and same as a footy team, you, you don't get success if the cake's not, if, if the team's not right. There's different departments have to, you know, complement, you know, different things. And Kel, me and Kells complemented each other. You know, Scott Green or David Lee and Brown, he complemented each other. You know, you've got um, Walker and McGinley and Mixu and Owen Coyle. Everyone kind of, you know, Ziggy and um, it was Kamey and then it was Ziggy and um, oh, who else played centre-half? Oh, it was um, Mark Stanley. Mm-hmm. You know, he, Mark Stanley hated football. They like, couldn't stand football, but, but like just loved Love playing the game, or just hated football. So his attitude and Ziggy's attitude was just perfect. You know, he was the calming influence. Ziggy was the one who went and won it and played out from the back. Um, yeah, so every, everything just complemented each other. The 93-94 season, a run to the FA Cup quarter-final, and you scored in both the games against Arsenal. Were those big yeah. moments for you? Going to a place like Highbury, a big stage, and and sort of... Scoring a goal and, and, and playing well, a big performance. Upsetting the apple cart. Yeah, absolutely, because they were massive at the time. They were, you know, they were tipped to win it and, and, and win the league as well. Um, you know, the players that they had, full of internationals. Um, you know, it, it's funny because, like, when I was saying to you before about the pieces in the jigsaw, you know, for me personally, you know, winning promotion, we started the next season, new division, um, you know, and, and with high expectations. Um, but then it's like the Liverpool game, you know, I was on the bench for the game at Burned and the 2-2. Then I went to Anfield, bittersweet, you know, beaten them, but obviously Liverpool was my team. I'm still watch. I'm still going to the game. I'm still watching them on the cop and stuff. So bittersweet. Um, but then, you know, winning games, winning games like that is like, is like another... It's kind of like, you know, you know, we we're beating Liverpool here. We're playing against the top players in the some of the top players in the world. It's like you know, when holding our own, you, you kind of grow in stature and and feel like a belonging. So when the um, when the Arsenal game came around, it was probably my first real test, really personally. Um, to be pitted against these top, top players. And I was making a bit of a name for myself at the time, making a few headlines. And I remember the headlines before the game, you know, George Graham had been watching me and Stubbsy. Um, and there was all this rumour that I was going to get man-marked and Keown actually did man-mark me that game. And I, I've got to be honest, I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but I tore him inside out. He just couldn't handle my energy. I was just running off him. Excuse me. I was just running off him. Me and McGinn had a great understanding. Um, yeah, and, and I just remember playing really well at Bend and I had a great relationship with the crowd. Like, I, you know, fell in love with that crowd. They looked after me, I felt. Real energy about, 
you know, it was a real old old school ground, wasn't it? Burnham Park, which created an old school atmosphere, which you know you can't beat. Um, you know, they were singing my name, which I, you know was amazing. Um, I had my own song, and I was quickly becoming a fan's favourite. So I was just feeding off this energy and this, you know, Bruce teaching me, and then all of a sudden I play well against Arsenal, and then we go to Highbury, and then. Um, yeah, obviously smash one past David Seaman, you know, and then and then we go and score again. Andy scores, doesn't he? And then, you know, headlines in the paper the next day, and there's a big famous picture of the three of us. And um, yeah, just amazing, amazing memory. But again, you know what it did for the team? It just, you know, it was just cementing us as a team. Just getting, we were just getting stronger and stronger. How much did you enjoy playing at Burnham Park? Because Myself, Mikey, didn't obviously get the chance to go there a little bit before our time, but how much yeah. did you enjoy playing at an old school ground, like you say, like that? I remember, you know, it wasn't the most attractive ground. It, they had financial difficulties, didn't they? It was before yeah. I got there, and they sold half an end. To, yeah. to norm, it used to be normal. The Normiden, yeah. Yeah, the Normiden. So it was like, you'd run out, half a Normid would be sticking out, and then <laughs> the way fans, which would be a pen there. But, like, but, what it was was you. It was a real. It was like Lansdowne Road had the same the, the same feeling. The dressing rooms were old. <clears throat> um, corridor. Um, you'd walk through the door. The dressing room was on the right. The way dressing room was a, a walk down, walled corridors, green carpets like thin green carpet, brick, old school to the away dressing room down onto the right. Um, so players had a lot of time to walk in from the players' entrance to their dressing room going, oh, my God, what have we come to here? You know, it wasn't just in and in the dressing room like some grounds. There was a walk. And then you you got to do that walk back out. It was cold in winter. And then into the tunnel. <clears throat> and then you'd run out onto the ground. But you would you were facing the – it was basically the home end. It was like it was the side of the ground, which was full to the brim of Bolton fans. It was like you run it out into the middle of the main stand and then it was there. And you run out to this crescendo of noise up onto the pitch, which was elevated. Um, and sloped down at one corner. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like that. <laughs> and, then, um, and then you were greeted by this hostile noise. Um, but obviously as a, home, as a home crowd and as a home player, you were greeted to this, this noise, um, which was just uplifting. Like you grew, like you just, poof. and then because it was a ground football ground, the atmosphere stayed inside, and it made it made some of the matches we played like unforgettable. Arsenal, Villa, um, the Liverpool game at home, which obviously I didn't play in, but I was obviously there. Um, Wolves playoff games—they're the ones I remember. The Preston game—they're um, the ones I remember, you know, quite vividly. But because of the atmosphere and, and obviously what we did. You know, it was a good result, so I remember them, obviously. But, yeah, it was an amazing... They were amazing fans, proper football fans, you know, proper, proper football fans. You know, great history, Nat, you know, FA Cups, you know, First Division, Frank Worthington, you know. I, you know, obviously growing up a football fan, you know, I I, I used to do it at every ground. Like, I used to play out at the first get there. I can't kind of try and reminisce some of the most iconic moments, you know, Frank's goal... You know, I remember standing there looking at that end, the Normand end, you know, where he flicks it over and he volleys. 
volleys in the top. I was like, that's where Frank Waverton scored that goal. You know, it was like, you know, you're actually there. You see it for real life. You know, it was like, wow, that's where that happened. But yeah, you know, I was following in, in footsteps of great players there. You know, Reedy, Sam, Frank, Nat. You know, so it was an iconic football club. And the, and the crowd suited, you know, they suited that football club. Your last season at Bolton, 94-95, there were two finals that season. Coca-Cola Cup and the, the playoff final. The first one, of course, the Coca-Cola Cup final against Liverpool at Wembley. I mean, for you as a boyhood red, that must have been a really, really special occasion. It wasn't the Liverpool final, it was the Steve McManaman final, as everyone keeps telling me. I know, yeah, he's my brother-in-law, isn't he? So every time I go around his house, I see the medal and, yeah, it kills me. Um, yeah, it, it was... Um, it, there's a couple of ways of looking at it, really. You know, we, we, got, into the, we got to the final. Um, amazing achievement from a, you know, a championship club. Um, you know, then to face Liverpool was, you know, a pretty daunting task at Wembley with the players they had. But for me, it was it was billed as a bit of a trial game. Um, you know, I'd I'd um, I'd been involved internationally as well, so I kind of you know, as I said before, you know, I was making a name for myself very very quickly. You know, I knew Maka, I knew Jamie, Babsy, of course, so I knew a few of their players. Um, and obviously, it was at Wembley, so you know, to take everything away from it. For me, it was very special because, you know, probably three years previous, I was playing for Marine, you know, and now I'm playing at Wembley for Bolton against Liverpool in a, in a major final. It was like, you know, I was pinching myself, to be honest. Um, but we, as far as the game goes, we, you know, Bruce was, was very positive all the time. You know, there was, he, there was no stone unturned in, in sense of preparation. He made big calls um, about team selection. He wasn't afraid to make team selection. Um, and we were, you know, we, we weren't going too well in the league at the time of that final. So we weren't in great form. But what I do remember was, and it's an old cliche, is the form book goes out the window. It does really because of the, you know, because of the enormity of the situation. Yeah, the it's sense of the occasion occasion yeah that plays out it's not you know where you are in the in the league or form it's the it's the occasion who handles you know 90,000 you know can you handle that scenario you know different environments um it's a final can you handle that you know so we we went into the game you know a bit unsure about how we were gonna take it but we quickly got into our stride uh, and you know we held our own you would never think there was so much of a gap between the two teams. Um, you know, I look back and think the second goal, I could have done better myself. Um, I give up on it a little bit. Showed him inside. I thought I'd done my job, but Maka, you know, we went round. He just bent into the bottom corner, didn't we? But we got one back. Um, funny enough, I, my, my lad, my 19-year-old, was watching it the other week. I had a couple of chances myself, a couple of shots. Um, and then... Alan Thompson scores the, the the goal, gets us sort of back into it. Um, but we couldn't get the equaliser. But it was where I look back quite fondly on it, even though we lost, was I, I actually think if we hadn't of 
been in that situation, played at Wembley, played Liverpool, lost, which gives us a, a desire then to go on and get promoted. You know, we, we got to Wembley then against Reading. We knew what to expect. We knew walking out, we'd been in this situation three months previous, two months yeah, previous. It's like a dress rehearsal almost, yeah. Like a dress rehearsal, yeah. But it inspired us to go on an unbelievable run, wasn't it? I don't know if you've got, you've got the facts there, but from that cup final, I think to the end of the season, I don't think we lost many. You know, no. it really, it really gives the confidence to go on and basically win a lot of games to get us into the playoffs. I don't even think we were, we were in the playoffs when we played that final. I don't think we were. No, I'm not, not 100 sure on that one. But you mentioned there the Reading game, the four-three win at Wembley. I imagine there was probably a mix of emotions during the game. How, how did you find playing in that game? Because obviously, Reading got off to the best possible start. And from our perspective, a nightmare. How did you find playing in the game? Well, we, we were shell-shocked. And I alluded to it before. You know, we, we'd been in many a game where we'd come back from 2-0. Um, I think there was even one game we'd come back from 3. Maybe nicked the draw or, or been 3 down, got back to 3-3. Three, three, might have been 1-4-3. I can't remember. But I just remember us, you know, having a never-give-up attitude. Um, so... Yeah, it was the worst possible start. We were a bit shell-shocked. We were a bit like, whoa. You know, we didn't see that coming. And then they had another chance, missed it. Branny made a great save. And then, again, um, involved in a, in a really pivotal, pivotal moment was when the, the penalty. You know, I, brought, I brought someone down, um, give away a penalty. Not the, not the best tackle, Jason. No, I went, no, it wasn't. Um, yeah, I remember having to go with Greeny straight afterwards. <laughs> um, but yeah, it wasn't a great tackle. You know, I, you get to that position and, and you kind of like, you just want to do more. So, you, you know, you're making rash decisions and stuff and it was a rash decision. And I give it away. And I remember thinking, if this goes in, you know, that it's going to be tough. Um but we, we still had a long way to go. But I have heard since that Jimmy um, Jimmy Quinn was going to bring himself on to take the penalty. It, it was that much of a big moment for him. I've heard, I've spoken to him in a He was going to bring himself on. Wow. But then he, and then he left it. Was it Stuart Lovell? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then obviously Branny makes the save. And again, you know, I played in many a football game where certain things have changed momentum and attitude. You know, it might be, you know, it might be a fight. Something happens on the pitch and the crowd rise to it and all of a sudden momentum changes. Um, it might be a, a shot that hits the bar. You know, you might be too down, it's the bar, momentum changes and you, this belief comes in. And from, from that moment, we, um, you know, we believed we, you know, they missed the penalty, so we believe we were still very much in the game. It was like it was like a goal for us. It was that kind of feeling. We're back in it, even though it, it you know it wasn't like that, but that's how we felt. And then um, you know I thought we were we were unbelievable after that. Once we got a grip of the game, you know that they couldn't live with us. And then we got stronger as the game went on. And then Fab scored, you know, a couple of unbelievable goals. His first one where he takes it so early. Early, yeah, very early. Oh, yeah, it was ridiculous. 
and it and it kind of bobbles in, doesn't it, into the corner. And then um, you know, then obviously I played the hand in I think one of the best goals that we we've ever scored. You know, if you if you watch the goal from start to finish, the one touch, two touch, the movement, you know, the way we we work ourselves up the pitch. You know, I back heel it, and then it's an f- unbelievable cross in. It's headed back, and then Mix who scores the goal. Yeah, um, you know, one of the best goals I think we've scored, but also I think one of the best games Bolton have ever been involved in. Mm. Yeah, without doubt. And obviously, during your time at Bolton, you alluded to it a little bit early, but you were involved with the Republic of Ireland squad. How did you find your time representing Ireland? Well, I went to the World Cup off the sort of off the back of of that season. So, you know, I think as well, I think you know, going to play for Ireland. I said to someone the other week, you know, going to play for Ireland at that time where I was at Bolton, you know, was was amazing. Flying this. <laughs> <laughs> It was amazing because, you know, I, you know, no disrespect to to the Bolton players, but we we were playing in the championship, you know, and I wanted to play in the Premier League with this set of players. But, you know, if you, if you all of a sudden, which is what happened to me, I, you know, went to play for Ireland and playing for the championship club, but then I go on, I'm, I'm playing, I'm training, I'm playing with Paul McGrath, Roy Keane, Andy Townsend, John Aldridge, Ronnie Whelan, Ray Alton. You know, it kind of like it, it goes from this level to this level, and you become a better player. And I was I was actually going back to Bolton with it after every international game, like bit of a swagger. Like you know, I am the best player in this squad. I am. I wouldn't publicly say it, or I wouldn't say it in front of the lads, or I didn't have a big-headed attitude. But I was feeding off that, like, you know, I've just been training against, you know, Roy Keane and, and Ronnie Whelan. I've just been playing against Croatia or playing against Russia or, you know, and I was going back and, you know, we were going out on a Saturday and playing against, I don't know, Exeter or Oxford or whoever it was, Wolves. And I was thinking, I've just played against Croatia. Like, this fella I'm playing against here, I don't even know who he is. <laughs> it's like I, was, I was playing against Prozanetsky on Wednesday night. I, I haven't even heard of you. So I was just like, just like you can't live with me. Mm. And that was my attitude every game. And I kind of like, I just got better and better and fitter and stronger and better. And, you know, I, I couldn't be in the best, the, the, a better environment to become a better footballer. It was just the, the best environment to be in. Great manager, great teammates, great team, brilliant football club, international, playing with world-class players against world-class footballers, cup finals. You know, it just, it, I was just like, went like that, through the roof. Would you say that uh, Ireland team, that sort of set up through in the 90s, was like a bit of a golden patch for the, the Ireland national team? Or would you say... There's some earlier because looking at the names there, there's so many players who've gone on to have such fabulous careers. Yeah, they 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 were in a real golden era, you know. Jack Jack eighty eight was the start of it really, um, and then ninety the quarterfinals in Italy World Cup, you know that put them on a you know a platform. They were all playing, you know. I remember going going to play, and the team the team sheet was was the name, and in brackets was your club. And it was like Tottenham, Man United, Villa, Liverpool, Chelsea, 
you know, there was, you know, I think only one time I looked and John Aldridge had gone to Tramia, where, you know, there was one time he was associated, you know, there was just no player outside the Premier League or, or you know, wasn't playing top flight football. It was, you know, an unbelievably strong team. You know, you go from Staunton, Bab got in the team, McGrath, Erwin, Gary Kelly was sub- substitu- substituting him. Then it was me and Ray Anton on the right battling for position. Then you go Andy Townsend, you go John Sheridan or Roy Keane, you go left side, probably, well, it'd be Steve Staunton. Then you go, you know, Tommy Coyne, John Aldridge, um, Tony Cascarino, Niall Quinn. You know, it was just phenomenal. It was the team that we had. And, um, you know, we had this unbelievable team spirit as well. You know, so, yeah, it was great. And then, obviously, uh, we missed out on 92, the Euros, just. And then we we obviously made it into um, 94 World Cup, which was, you know, probably the best the best six weeks of my life, to be honest. It was, it was more like a stag than a World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the best time of my life. Yeah, what... I was just going to ask you, because obviously you played in the 94 World Cup and was it 2002 as well, you're, you're in the Ireland squad. What can you tell us about your experiences in, in those two World Cups in, in particular? I mean, the 2002 one was a little bit, there was a lot of press around the old Roy Keane and, and Nick McCarthy yeah. argument. I mean, but. Yeah, amazing memories of both. I mean, I never qualified. I never went through any quali- qualifiers in 94. Yeah, I literally hijacked the plane. You know, I, I, I literally... <laughs> You know, I, I should never really have gone. It was just injuries and, you know, it was, you know, 94 was a bit of an aging squad, you know, from 90. So it needed an injection of youth and Jack knew that. And, you know, the country was, you know, it was all about the football and, you know, economically we were, you know, I don't, you should watch a documentary called The Boys in Green on RTE. You should watch that. It's a two-parter. It's amazing. Um, you know, it was just brilliant times, but it needed a bit of youth. So me, Gary and Phil, I'd come into the squad and the three of us should never really have gone to America but we Jack made some big calls and took us um, and like I said you know I never really expected to play or be part of it um, but I played in every game so that meant you know it, it meant a lot more to me to, to obviously play in the games and you feel part of it then you know I wasn't on the on the edge and didn't do anything I actually you know played in them all so um, amazing! It was in America, so they tried to make it the best competition in the world, which was which was amazing. They've done a great job. It was razzmatazz, um, and like I said, you know, we we were free to sort of do not what we wanted, but we you know when you go to a competition like that, the press follow Germany, Italy, Brazil, Spain. You know, they don't follow Ireland. They, they, you know, there's not we we don't really make news, so we, we kind of like relax we can go out and have a meal or we can go out and have a drink or you know we're not getting followed as long as we behave ourselves there's no news so you know that's how it was but then to beat Italy was amazing um yeah it, it was just brilliant 2002 was was different in the sense I was I was a senior pro like 94 I was 20 you know my, I celebrated my 23rd birthday on the day we beat Italy it was my birthday that day so I mean after the game, if that wasn't good enough, you know, we went out with Larry Mullins from U2 into into downtown New York and we just celebrated with, with U2. Like, it doesn't get any better. 
So, um, you know, 2002 was, was amazing because I went through, um, I went through all the qualifiers in a group we should never really have got out of Holland and Portugal. And then to qualify in Iran, the sense of achievement is one of the best feelings I've ever had. It was amazing in the most hostile environment. It was scary, but it was just brilliant. So then that happened. And then obviously, you know, the disappointment of Roy going home um, at the time was enormous, brought enormous pressure on the team, the manager, the players. Um, And as much as it's been documented about our relationship, mine and Roy's, I'm still disappointed that he missed out because he was arguably the best centre midfielder in the world at the time. And it was a platform, not only for us, but for him to showcase what he what he was all about. And, you know, the, the competition played out. You know, we were beaten on penalties by Spain where, you know, we should have gone through. And I do think if Roy had played, we'd have won the game. So then, you know, who, who you know, who knows what could have happened from then? You know, we were knocked out on pens. Roy had gone home. Um, we come back with bittersweet memories. And um, yeah, you know, of the two, certainly 94 was the one I remember more. Obviously, it was 1995 you signed for Liverpool. I guess yeah. that must have been, I mean, it's a cliche, but a dream come true for you. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was a tough start for me. Um, you know, we'd won, we'd won promotion. We'd been through so many emotions as a team. Um, you know, the holy grail is getting to the Premier League. We'd, we'd done that. We'd achieved that. Um, and then, obviously, Bruce had gone to Arsenal. And I felt, I felt a little bit betrayed. Um, you know, he was this father-like figure for me. Um, and it was my first real, you know, kick in the teeth, really. My first real, you know, gut-wrenching feeling that I had about football. Um, you know, I'd gone from non-league to League Cup final to playing under a great manager, a great team, for a couple of promotions, playing at Wembley twice, going the World Cup, coming back to, to you know, this father-like figure, basically abandoning the team and me. I felt a bit betrayed. Um, and then he wanted me to sign for Arsenal with him. Um, I mean, it's the only time you'll hear these three names in the same sentence, but his three players was Bearcamp, Carlos and McAteer. So you'll never hear that in another <laughs> sentence. But uh, they were the three players he wanted to sign. Um, and he never got me. He signed David Platt instead of me. Um, but once he left, I... I then wanted to leave. You know, I was in, I was in love with Bolton. You know, I loved, you know, I, I you know, I still loved the football club. I, I owe them everything, and you know, I'll never forget that. But that was the only time I thought about myself instead of the club. You know, Bruce had gone, um, Roy McFarland had come in, and Roy was quite like he come in with the attitude of basically said to me and Stubbsy, "You ain't going anywhere." So get it out your heads. You're here for the season. You know, we've got a big season and, you know, this is what we're going to do. And I instantly didn't like him um, because, I, you know, he wasn't my manager. Bruce was my manager. Bruce had gone. And him and Toddy had taken up dual management, which never works. Um, and me and Stubbsy, 
were making headlines. Like it was, we were picking up the papers every week. We were going somewhere else, whether it was Tottenham, whether it was Arsenal, whether it was United, whether it was Liverpool. You know, we were going everywhere. Um, and then out the blue, we were driving into training, probably four or five games in, uh, and our agent uh, just basically said. We've agreed, Bolton have agreed nine million for, for you and Alan. Um, and I was like, Liverpool. And he went, no, Blackburn Rovers. And I was like, Blackburn. I mean, they just won the title. Kenny was the manager. It was like, Kenny's my hero. So it was like, you know, you can go and t- talk to Kenny up at um, the Haydock Thistle Hotel. So we literally turned the car around and, um, and we literally went up back up to the hotel and sat with Kenny. And then during the meeting, um, my agent's phone went and he took the call and he come back into the meeting. He said, Kenny, that's um, Liverpool on the phone. They want to sign Liverpool, but they don't want Alan. So Kenny basically said, if you, we, you come as a package, I'm not signing Alan if I don't sign Jason. So it was a bit of pressure on me. So we went and sat with Stubbsy, told him what had happened. And Stubbsy knew how much of a, of a Liverpool fan I was, as much as he was an Everton fan. He just said to me, um, you've got to speak to Liverpool. If we if we sign for Blackburn, we do it together. But if you go to Liverpool, I'm fine with that. And I left the room. And then I went up to Anfield. I spoke to Roy Evans that night with the chairman. And um, the meeting literally took 10 minutes because I was always going to sign for Liverpool. And then we, we actually started speaking about money. And I actually got up out of the chair and I just went to, I just went to my agent, don't mess it up. And I went and sat outside. I wasn't. I didn't care how much money they were paying me. And then I was called in 10, 15 minutes later and the contract was put in front of me and I signed for Liverpool. Just just going back to the um, Bruce thing, because yeah. you said, you alluded to how he said, right, I want to give this a go with Bolton in the, in the top tier. I really wanted to do that. Then when Bruce left, did you feel, well, if he goes, I can go? Because... Uh, you you felt like he should have stayed. Did you feel like he should have stayed and like dug dug it out with Bolton for a season, maybe? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was naive back then to how football works. You know, to me, football and life was all about loyalty, and you know, we give everything for each other, and we're a team. You know, we you know we win together, we lose together, we we fight together, and and I was oblivious to like agents you know, the glamour of, of, you know, obviously, you know, we wanted to play in the top flight and knew what it was all about. I wasn't naive to that, but just nothing like that had ever happened before. I felt betrayed. You know, it was, it was, yeah. We, you know, we'd won the playoff final, you know, we were crying and hugging and, and like, you know, everyone was like, we had this big party, a parade and, you know, everyone was like, we've made it. We've like, we've achieved what we've tried to do for like the last three years, four years, whatever it was. And we've got there. And then, you know, four weeks later, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, uh, right, lads, I'm going to sign for Arsenal and be their manager now. And it's kind of like, what? Like, no, like, we're going back pre-season in, in a 10-day sound, whatever it was. Like, you can't, you can't do that. It's not allowed. And, like, he went. And it was like, wow. Like, like what, what happens now? It's like, you just feel like it's all going to break up. And then you feel like, we, you know, because for me, like I said before, it was, you know, not, not so much, well, obviously for the crowd and the club, obviously, but, you know, I'd give everything to Bruce, you know, everything. And then you leave when we achieved 
she, you know, we get the prize that we all fought for. It's like, I don't get it. You know, obviously now as a sit, as like, you know, I sit back now and I look back on football and, you know, how it all works. You know, I get it. I get, but back then I just didn't, didn't understand it. Like, what happened there? What was it like when you first went to Liverpool? Was it, was it kind of daunting because you going into a dressing room with all these big stars or you kind of got used to being in that environment with the Island squad? Yeah, I, yeah, you know, that put me in good stead. You know, I wasn't overawed by these players. Like I said, I knew a few of them. I played in the World Cup, played against them. Um, you know, what I had to get over was the, the, the fan thing. It's like, it's like, <laughs> it'd be like Star Wars and then walking onto the Millennium Falcon. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's just like, oh my God, it'd be like, you know, you walk into Anfield, you know, the training ground, is it, it's kind of, I train with them for a few days before, obviously, the first game. But then when, when you go up to Anfield and you, you go in as a Liverpool player, it's, it's kind of like the dressing room, you walk in, the red kit, you know, it was the old dressing room back then. So, you know, the, the air of nostalgia is, is just there. It's got, like, it had this feeling, like the old dressing room, you could feel Keegan and Toshak and, Daglish and you could feel, you know, Barnes and although he was still there, um, you know, Rush and all the teams that Ronnie and all the teams that I'd supported and watched, you know, they'd been in that dressing room and, you know, but it was very much like the the the, the similarities between Bolton and Liverpool was very much a family club, you know, Liverpool was kind of I felt Liverpool and Bolton ran parallels in in, in their thinking. Um, you know, it was all about the fans. It was all about the family. It was all about, you know, the team is very much the team and it's very much very a close bond. Um, Liverpool had that. You know, that was the boot room and it was still there. You know, Tom Saunders was walking around. Ronnie Moran was was coach. Roy Evans was obviously manager. Um, nothing had changed from the dressing room to the walk to the steps to the iconic Liverpool sign to running out to the red kit, um, so you'll never walk alone. It was all still very much in place, and it, I had to overcome that. But it, you quite quickly you fall into professional mode, but you also feel the pressure that comes with playing for that club. Like, Bolton was always... We were kind of a top club that had gone into the doldrums of football, the lower leagues, fighting to get back to where we were where Liverpool was, you know, all about... Bolton was always felt like it, the pressure wasn't there with Bolton. It was always kind of, we'll take what we get and, you know, we'll, we'll go along with it. And it was the ride. And everyone was like, loved it and it was great. And, but Liverpool was like, win at all costs. You don't win, you're a failure. And like, there's no, there's no way to hide because of the enormity of the club. You know, in football, as I said before, you know, we were moving into a different time. You know, we were, it was front pages as well as back pages. You know, we were filling 10 pages of sport where it was three. The money coming to it, it was demanding. There was a lot more people with views. Um, there was no social media, obviously, but there was, you know, football was changing in the aspects of we were doing adverts and, you know, we were doing smash hits as well as match magazine. Um, shoot was still around, but we was we were doing Cosmopolitan 
and women's magazines and you know we you know everyone wanted to know what was going on we were driving flash cars because we were living life like pop stars and film stars because that's how we were getting portrayed it um, wasn't just football it was everything that your life entailed yeah culture was changing um pop stars wanted to be our mates gangsters wanted to be our mates boxers every, everyone wanted to be a footballer you know, you were mixing with page three girls as you were mixing with gangsters in London. You know, you were getting photographed sitting next to, you know, someone who was infamous as much as someone who was famous. It was like, it was the life we lived. Um, everyone wanted to be mates with, with top footballers. Um, and, you know, that brought its own pressures mentally. As much as at the time you didn't realise it, later on it would have, a you know, an adverse effect, certainly on my life. We're happy with the fact that you kind of got going and, and, and got playing pretty quickly at Liverpool. I mean, in that first season, I think you played 40 times. So it did yeah. take for you to sort of establish yourself there. Yeah, the, the, the disappointing thing was, obviously, I'd made my name as a centre midfielder, a Bolton attacking midfielder, coming from deep. Um, should have scored more goals, but, you know, I was... You know, it was funny how I tried to break barriers down of not getting in the box. It was kind of like a mental barrier. Me and Bruce worked on forever, but I could never break it down. Um, so when I signed for Liverpool, obviously the talks were all me and Jamie Redknapp in midfield. It was going to be the me and Tony Kelly scenario. But, um, you know, Roy wanted to move, change the team quite quickly to accommodate Macker in a free role to get another centre-half in the team, to keep Barnsley in the team, which kind of made me play as a wing-back. So I quickly went back onto the right, you know, which, which I could easily do because I grew up as a right-back and a right midfielder for, you know, my early days as a footballer. I was quite accustomed to playing there. But, um, you know, we were kind of the first to do it. Villa, but I think we're the only other team that played three at the back. But it, it accommodated and suited everybody in the team. So yeah, I mean the team settled very quickly. My first, my first, my debut away was Man United. Um, it was the two-two. I think it might have been the, the Cantona comeback. Um, we beat United at home as well. Beat them two-nil. So you know we didn't fear Man United, and it was the season really we should have won the league, but we we just fell away. Sort of April time, we didn't have the mentality to go on and win it but still managed to reach the FA Cup final. But then, obviously, the name you mentioned there, Eric Cantona, scores the winner in that final. Obviously, bitter rivals, Liverpool, Man United. You a Liverpool fan, now a Liverpool player. It must have been a hard one to take, that one. Yeah, um, Cup final, as, as you know. I mean, I'm, I'm a lot older than you, you lads. Growing up, it was probably scoring the winning in the Champions League for you lads. But for me, it was scoring the winning in the FA Cup. Uh, and I was always... It's a shame that the FA Cup seems to have lost that bit of um, sort of, right, I want to score in the FA Cup, I want to win the FA Cup. But like yeah. you said, for me, Champions League, I really want to win. The, if I was a player, yeah. Champions League, I want it. It's a sign of the times though, isn't it? You know, we've moved into it, you know, it, as much as it's a sport, it's an industry, a financial big industry, isn't it? It's not just, it's not just about, you know, football. There's financial implications. So with that comes growing the game. With that becomes, you know, making things more glamorous and offering more, which was, you know, in your in your lifetime, it's the Champions League, isn't it? Which, you know, we you know, we get that. Um and I, I don't have anything I don't have any 
bad feeling that I just hope we protect the FA Cup because of what it means. You know, as much as it means the history of Bolton, you know, we would always in Bolton, the FA Cup, it's the two names that go together, isn't it? So, you know, yeah, we, we need to protect it as much as we grow the game. Um, but I've got no problem with the kids of these today not being FA Cup and being Champions League. It's, it's you know, you've got to grow with it. But, um, but yeah, as far as, as, you know, the 95 Cup final goes, it was really disappointing because United had won the league. We felt we were a better team then um, than them. We should have won the league, but we didn't. Um, and the game took on its, you know, as media goes and as they build it up, the game takes on its own life being, you know, two very young, expansive teams. Um that basically is the game when it's cancelled each other out. You know, no one did anything. The game was hyped up that much. It, it fell flat. Um, but where, you know, where we talk about it now as, as ex-players and we get together and stuff, and, you know, there's a strong belief if we'd have gone on and won the cup final and United hadn't done the double, then we would have maybe gone on and won the league the season after. Because as I've said to you before, when you win something, it puts you in a different mindset. You think of Liverpool now winning the Champions League. They lost it. The desire was never to have that feeling again. Win it. What that win, that, what that win did for Liverpool was, was, you know, it took them apart from everybody else, Manchester City, why you see them 20-odd points clear now. Um, it just set them aside. But it was winning that, that Champions League that did that for them. Um, and it would have been the same for us. If we'd have won that FA Cup, I really believe we would have gone on and won the league next season. It would have put us in a different mindset. It would have just changed the, the mental outlook that we, we had at the time. They grew stronger in their mental capacity and felt that they'd become untouchable. Hence why they went on and dominated you know, British football for the next 10 years. What did you make of the white suits? Uh I look back now and, you know, it's an iconic moment in an iconic decade of football and people still talk about it. And, I'm, you know, you know, I love reminiscing and I love talking. You know, at the time, you know, David James was, was modelling for Armani, nothing wrong with that. Armani wanted to get off the, off the back of, you know, the enormity of the cup final and, you know, the, what they want to achieve out of it um and they messed up by the color of the suits it wasn't meant to be a white suit it was meant to be like a, a, a light brown suit like a cardboardy kind of brown um and it was it comes a white suit we didn't have enough time to change it maybe the call should have been we'll wear trackies but we were you know like i said before you you've got to you've got to read the whole situation you can't just look back you know as as a person as a fan now as an ex-player and go you know it's 2020, you know, you can't wear a, tw a white suit in a cup final. You've got to go back to 1996. Yeah. When, I'm sure it was fashionable back then. Yeah, sure. it was, you know, it was a bit cheeky. You know, football was, you know, it was involved in, in a culture, you know, Spice Girls, music, you know, big, you know, fashion was a massive thing back then. Prada, Gucci. All know, the world were colliding. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, you've got to, you've got to be in that moment to fully understand why it happened. You know, now, if it wouldn't happen now. 
you know, they wouldn't, wouldn't be allowed. It's completely different. But, you know, back then, it was just something a little bit different. We were a team of, you know, good-looking lads at the time. You know, you had Redknapp around, J-Mo, Babsy, you know, John Scales. You know, they were all lads who were modelling and, you know, as well as, you know, it, it, it just, that's the way it was. It, it was just like that back then. But, you know, people say, oh, you know, the Spice Boys and Playboys. We weren't doing anything different than what the Man United players were doing. We'd bump into them in the same nightclubs at the same time, <laughs> doing the same thing. But they were winning. So it was all right for them to do it. Because we were losing, it was, it was our fault. So yeah. that's what we live with. Then your time at Liverpool came to an end. Is it 1999 you went to, to Blackburn during the 98-99 season? You went to Blackburn? Was, yeah. Um, was was, was yeah, that a tough one for you, Jason? Say that again. Was that a tough one for you, having to leave yeah. Liverpool? I mean, it was at a time when, um, you know, Gerard Houllier had come into Liverpool. And again, football, again, had taken a massive turn. You know, it was trendy to be French. 98, we won the cup final. Wenger, Ginola, Henri, Anelka, all these players were starting to filter through from the from the World Cup squad um, into the Premier League where the money was great and, you know, changing times. But with, with that success brought, we stretched like the French, we eat like the French and we play like the French. So Liverpool moved with that time and brought in Gerard Houllier. There was a massive clash with culture, being a boot room, being Liverpool setting its ways to Gerard with a fresh outlook, you know, he wanted to change that. He was given that license to do that. Gerard would tell you that it worked because he'd done the treble. I would say they were very lucky to win all of the three, three games. They could have lost every one of them quite easily, but they didn't. So, but Gerard will stand there and say, I was a success and you've got to give him that, you know? So, um, so yeah, I, I was, I was, you know, when I look back on it, as I don't think Gerard had really done his due diligence on the team. I think he come in blind. I think he come in reading a lot from media. Spoke to a lot of media people who were very damning of of who we were. If he'd have come in and gone, I've got something amazing here, and I want to build on it, rather than you know smash it up and start again, which is what he did. He was closer with our team winning the league than what he was what he was with any team that he built. Our team, with a couple of tweaks, would have won the Premier League without a shadow of a doubt. But he he wanted to do it his way, so um, he didn't want Roy's team. He didn't want his, you know, which is quite ironic, really, because he felt that the two thousand and five Rafa team that won the Champions League was his. Mm. So um, so yeah so. <laughs> You know, so I, I become a victim of that, yeah. Um, and I left and went to Blackburn and Brian Kidd twisted my arm and I, I, you know, I went to Blackburn and, yeah, it was a difficult time for me on, on and off the pitch. Yeah, because on, on the pitch there was relegation and promotion. So looking from the outside and it looks like, you know, there's ups and downs that there is in football. But how do you find your relatively short time at Blackburn? Just difficult in general, would you say? I embraced it when I first got there because that's the kind of person I am. And, um, you know, under Brian Kidd, I had a great relationship with Kiddo. Um, you know, I signed under a cloud of bewilderment. I, I kind of like 
wasn't playing for Liverpool, wanted to play week in, week out. Um, my international career was struggling because I wasn't playing in, in the week in, week out. Um, off the pitch, I was struggling um, emotionally with a, with a few deaths that had happened in the family. Um, I had a new baby had just arrived. Um, so there was a lot of distraction in my decision-making. I wasn't thinking clearly. And I kind of seen Blackburn as a bit of a way out, as a kind of a bit of a fresh start. You know, I'll, I can get out of this situation quite easily. I can move. Uh, I signed for Blackburn for a lot less money. Um, so it wasn't fun for financial gain. It was literally to play football. I found being on the football pitch a place of solace. I found it a place of no one can get me. There's no problems. It's for 90 minutes. I'm just me. There's no problems. And that's what, that's what I, you know, one of the things that sort of was the desire to move. If I look back now, if I could change anything, I would have stayed at Liverpool for an extra six months and played out the season and then assessed then. But I didn't. I was too hasty. It was too harsh. And I left. Um, and I regretted it. But, you know, I got there. And when I look back, you know, I think of some of the signings Brian Kidd made. You know, he signed, I, I mean, Ashley Ward. I don't know why he signed Ashley Ward. Like, I just don't understand that signing whatsoever. Not good enough um, to take us to where we wanted to be. Um, you know, when I signed, and it's only now I look back and think, wow. That was a bad signing. <laughs> like I should have seen that <laughs> at the time. Um, but yeah, it was it was a difficult time for me. Um, and then Graham Soon has come in and made it even more difficult. So, you know, it was quite apparent that, you know, I wanted to leave and I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, was it a little bit of a fallout with Graham Sooness that led to you then going to Sunderland? Yeah, I mean, a new manager comes in, you want to play and you think, you know, your opportunity's there to stay in the team and, and you know, play with the manager. Um, but Graham didn't want that. Um, I don't know what it was. We, it was a clash of personalities. Um, you know, quite apparent that I wasn't, you know, his favourite player. I wasn't, you know, someone he he wanted to build a team around. He, he wanted Gary Flickcroft in the team before me, which which you understand when you, you know, now I look back and Flitty's more like Graham. You know, you know, I was I was a different kind of player, um, but we fell out. We had big arguments, heated arguments. Um, yeah, it was it was difficult. Yeah, so I tell you a funny story. Like when when um, when I decided I want to move, wanted to move, I plucked up all the courage to go and tell Graham I didn't want to play for him. So I knocked on his door after training, and he went, "Come in," and I went in, and he. I said to him, listen, I need to speak to you about, I want to leave. And he said, well, I'm going to get in the shower. He says, well, come back in 20 minutes. So I was like, so I went and sat in the dressing room for 20 minutes. All the lads had gone. When I sat in the dressing room, was just sitting there. And then 20 minutes went by. And then I, I went to his room and I knocked on the door and he went, come in. And he was sitting at his desk as I walked in, he's sitting at his desk and he had the smallest towel. It was like a tea towel wrapped around his waist. So all his towel was just hanging down because he had his feet up on the desk like that, like his feet up. So all his the carriage was just hanging down, and it was like a grandfather clock. It was just swinging. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I, 
like a chin there for asking for a move or a fight who's going to break out. And he's going to be naked. <laughs> His hydraulics are going to be everywhere. And I'm going to be like, oh, my God. Like, I just didn't know how this meeting was going to go. And, I, like, we had this heated meeting. Um, like, we swore at each other and it was like... And then he, in the end, he just went, I'll speak to John Williams and I'll see if I can see what he says. I was like, right, okay. So then I went home and then... John Williams rang me that night and he just said, listen, um, I'm going to engineer this move for you. So he said, just sit tight and, you know, we'll get you out as quick as we can. And then Peter Reed rang me and said, do you want to come to Sunderland? I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. I'll come for nothing. <laughs> and, and then I went up to the, the stadium of lights and I had a, an amazing, it's kind of like, I, I kind of like, it lit the desire again to play footy. And, you know, I had an amazing time. I moved up there, lived in Durham. Played for Peter Reid, um, great set of lads, Quinny, Kev Gilban, Gavin McCann, Tommy Sorensen. I mean, back then, the team was great. Tommy Sorensen, um, Sam Klein that came in, um, Kev Phillips, brilliant, Quinny, Tommy Sorensen. Yeah, it was, a, it was Emerson Tom. It was a great team. And in the final chapter of your career, back to your neck of the woods to sign for Tranmere Rovers. Did you enjoy your time at Tranmere? Yeah, I, I'd left under a disappointment with Mick. Um, we got to the playoff semi-final and got knocked out by Palace. And, and I, I wanted to give it another year. Um, but I, I just don't think the Mick... I just don't think Mick had been given the finances from Bob Murray to, to sustain the team and keep on certain players. And I, I was part of the, the, the mix-up, really. I was club captain. Um, I felt we, you know, we deserved another go at it the next season um, but for one reason or another um, I left and I was you know I, was, I went I went for a talks with I had a medical with Leicester I failed a medical at Leicester um, and I was driving back home back to the Whittle um, quite shocked really because you know, I'd, I'd basically signed for Leicester. It was all dependent on the medical. And I'd played 20, 30 games that season after having a double hernia. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, that amount of games warrants the fact, you know, you're over your injury. But the medical showed up that my, my groins were really in a bit of a bad way. Not that I knew that, you know, I felt fit enough, a bit of rest and I would have been all right. It proved, it proved actually I was right because I went and signed for Tramie and played loads of games that season, played all season. So I could have signed for Leicester. But they, I, I understand, you know, Mickey, Mickey Adams, who was the manager, he'd signed a few players and give them a lot of money and he hadn't got the amount of appearances from them and they were basically just sitting there taking the money. So he was under pressure to sign the right players. So I can understand why I... So he didn't sign me off the back of the medical. In fact, Mickey got sacked about three months into the season and I sent him a text saying you should have signed me, shouldn't you? But he, never <laughs> answered, he never answered me back. So um, so I was driving home a bit bewildered and uh, I I literally um, rang my agent and I went to him, ring Brian Little, who was the manager of Tramia, and tell him I want to come in as an assistant or a player coach um, and tell him I'll sign for two grand a week. So I was on 15 at Sunderland. Um, Leicester had offered me 12 a week. 
And I literally went to Brian Little and said, give me two grand a week and I'll sign for Tramia. Um, and then Brian rang me up and went, is this a wind up? I was like, no. And he went, come and meet me tomorrow at the chairman's house. So I said, okay. And I went and sat with the chairman and even then he couldn't believe it. And he, he kind of like was a bit like, why? And I said to him, I just said to him, listen, you know, and I knew Brian anyway. He was a fantastic manager. I said, I'm at that point in my career where I want to learn. And it's not about the money. You know, I've had a great career. I've earned a lot of money. I want to learn. I want to learn from a great manager like yourself. I'm at home. I'm back at home in my comfort, you know, mentally in my comfort zone. Training grounds on my doorstep. And, you know, Tramia was my hometown club. I grew up in Tramia. Um, and I felt I wanted to play for them. And then he had a really good young team. Ryan Taylor, who went on to Newcastle. Ian Hume, the little centre forward. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Hall. And there was me. Good young lads. Danny Addison was in the team. Um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a... I had a great time. Les Paddy was the physio. Great fella. Worked well with me. And um, and yeah, we had a, we had a great time. We the, the saddest part of Tramia was we got to the playoff semis against Hartlepool, and I got knocked out in the game, the second game at Prenton Park, um, and we were battering them. And I got knocked out, and the, the referee literally not sent me off, but sent me off the pitch. And uh, medically, I wasn't allowed to carry on, and we lost the game on penalties. Went to pens, and we lost. So um, that was it. Yeah. And did you have a, a spell on the management team there? Assistant, did you have a job as assistant manager at Tramia? For yeah, um, I left. Yeah, Ronnie Moore came in and we fell out, me and Ronnie. He felt I was a threat to him um, and he didn't want me around. So he literally pulled the trigger on my contract, never gave me a new contract. And then I was, I went into the media and then a couple of, 18 months, two years later, um, I got a phone call off the chairman saying, I want you and John Barnes to come and manage the club. So me and Barnes, he went in, I went in as assistant manager and Barnes, he went in as manager. But the budget was slashed in half. Um, a lot of the players left. And it was really difficult to sustain what was going on at the football club. We had to let a lot of players go because um, we couldn't pay them what they wanted. And we had a lot of kids in the team. Uh, and we didn't start the season very well. And it's funny at Tramia because I think Tramia, I think you're either a Liverpool-Everton fan as much as you are a Tramia, Tramia fan. It's one, one or the other. And I think there was a lot of fans who just didn't want me and Barnsley there, really. So when the opportunity come sort of to pull the trigger, the chairman sort of did, really. And then, yeah, that was it. There was an iconic um, image on Sky Sports News, I believe, as well, from the uh, the time when you were being let go. Yeah. The, the, it, the, the cycle incident. Yeah. It, well, basically, I'd had enough. And, um, you know, inside... You know, I wanted to leave, but, you know, my professional head was, we'll try and get out of this mess. And um, we went into training on a Wednesday or a Thursday, one of, one of the days. And it must have been a Thursday. And the chairman's car was there. And it was really unlike his car to be there. So I thought, oh, we're going to get the sack. So I went in. and But John Barnes was talking to the, the media about the, the game on the Saturday. So I was like, there's no way the chairman had let him do that do the preview of the game before sacking him. So I thought, oh, we can't be doing that. So when he, the chairman said to me, listen, I seen him on the corridor and he said to me, listen, tell John after he's done his press conference, I want to speak to him. 
So I popped in. I said, Chairman, want to see you. No problem. Went to get changed. By the time I'd gone back into John's office with my kit on, the chairman had sacked him. So um, John looked me up and down, and he said to me, listen, um, you know, we've been sacked. I was like, what? So, and John, um, John was cycling in at the time to keep fit on this pushback. It was only three miles to his house. He was cycling in and out of work. So I said to him, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I'm going to cycle home. I'm going to come and get my stuff tomorrow. So I'll, I'm going to cycle home. And I was like, well, all the press are here, like Sky, everyone was here. So I said, there's the headline in it, on your bike. Once they tell everyone we've been sacked, the headline tomorrow is on your bike, picture you cycling out the ground. I said, that's not going to be good. He's like, yeah, good point. So I said, let's go for a coffee. Put the bike in the back of the car and I'll drop you off. He's gone, okay. So anyway, we've, um, we've, got, to the, we've got to the car park. And John's always on his phone. So I, I get the bike and I'm trying to put the bike in the car and I couldn't get it in. So next thing my phone goes and I answer the phone. It was me mate. And I went, Mac, how are you? And he just went to me, turn the wheel of the bike the other way. And I went, what? He went, the wheel of that bike. He's trying to get in the car. He went, turn it the other way. It'll go in. And I went, where are you? And he went, I'm sitting on me, on me couch at home. He said, you're live on Sky right now. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So like Sky had obviously got wind of us being sacked. Filmed us leaving the ground, but trying to watch me trying to get the bike. And it was live. <laughs> and my mate was watching it. I was like, oh my God, it was like embarrassing. So that was me, uh, that was me final day at Tramia. And do you know what? I've never been back since. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never been back, yeah. Never been back. What, what, what sort of things are you up to now, Jason? I've seen you your face a few times on LFC TV. Do you, do you work, do a little bit for Liverpool every so often? What sort yeah, of I'm, a, I'm kind of an unofficial ambassador for the club. So I, I do a lot of work for the partnerships, um, the foundation. Um, so I go around the world with the club. I was on tour with them. I've been on quite a few of the last... Uh, probably been three out of the last four tours I've done um, heavily with Liverpool TV um, so yeah and then doing bits and bobs for other media outlets and yeah just got a young family so that's it's great to watch them grow up because obviously when you're playing you don't get a lot of time um, so yeah just just yeah enjoying enjoying life not kind of as much at the minute but um <laughs> But yeah, I'm sure once it all picks up and, and we get going again, it'll be back on that merry-go-round, yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure, Jason. Thanks for joining us. Thanks it's for sharing it. Yeah, I hope everything works out. Obviously, I still keep an eye on what Bolton's doing and stuff. And um, I'm sure we'll we'll find a, a, a way of getting back into that Premier League. And yeah, stay safe and hopefully I'll speak to you soon.